Good morning again SABC and anyone else that's watching online special greeting to you it's so cool to have you with us so glad that you're seeking God. Hey I've been doing a series on our, our identity in Christ and coming out of lockdown and moving into the challenging economic recovery um, it's really important to know who we are in Christ there's no more needed uh, teaching at this time. You know, whatever else is going on in your life, I want you to know that God sees you as sons and daughters. He says you're adopted, you're loved, you're blessed, you're saved. You, he's created you to be a peacemaker. These are wonderful things. And you know, we need, to, we need to see ourselves in exactly the way God sees us. And today, I want to talk about the reality in our, in our lives of occasional affliction. And really, what I want to say is when we are afflicted, if we know who we are in Christ Jesus, then we will handle life so much better. So let's dig in. I'm preaching from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. And Paul writes this. He says, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you've heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given to me for you, how that by revelation he, Jesus, made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles, this is the mystery, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Of which I, Paul, became a minister according to the gift of grace that God had given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of this mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and the powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you, the Gentiles, do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is for your glory. So friends, Paul's continuing to explain this amazing new scenario that we looked at last week, how the gospel is now going freely to all other races in the world as well as the Jews. No longer is Jesus' ministry ring-fenced just to the, to the Jews. As we saw last time, his death on the cross dealt to all the enmity, in other words, all the sin between Jew and Gentile. So now everyone can inherit relationship with the Father, including going to heaven. And what was happening in Paul's day was that the Gentiles were almost flocking to Christ. Hundreds, thousands had come to know Jesus. I mean, we just, living today, knowing what we already know, 
We just don't get how big a shift that actually was. It was a COVID-sized change. You know, if you go back to February or January of this year, and someone had said that the whole world would go into lockdown within a few weeks, everyone would have just laughed that that could happen. But we just saw it go bang, and it has taken place. Well, it's that magnitude of shift in the gospel going out to the whole world, not just to the Jews, that has suddenly taken place in Paul's day. And in verse 8, Paul explains that he, of all people, has been given the task of preaching to the Gentiles, telling them that Christ's death included them and that they are included into the promises of, that God gave to Abraham. And Paul's quite buzzing as he writes this. But did you notice that in verse 1, Paul's actually in prison? And then he goes on for, for another um, 11 verses as if nothing untoward is happening until in verse 13 he says, Hey, you guys that are free, don't lose heart because I'm in prison and going through a tough time. I mean, it's quite astonishing. Paul is experiencing affliction and suffering. And we're told at the end of the book of Acts that this actually went on for two years in Paul's life. And prior to that, he'd been held in house arrest um, in Herod's palace um, in, in Israel for almost a two-year period as well. So he, he's anywhere from two to four years in prison as he's writing this. And yet he's upbeat and he's buoyant. In Philippians, another book that he wrote at this time, he says, count it all joy. You know, most people in prison are a lot more self-absorbed and they have a large range of unhappy, negative emotions, frustration probably being near the top. But Paul's incarcerated, his liberties are taken from him. And remember, prisons were a lot less comfortable than they are today. And he was chained to a guard, the end of the book of Acts tells us, 24-7, all the time. He's in the cold, often. He's suffering, he's afflicted. And yet, from the text, you can just bypass the fact that he's in prison and not even notice it. So what can we learn from what Paul's displaying here? The first thing I'd like to say is that the Bible doesn't teach triumphalism. And that's the idea that if you become a Christian, you get a trouble-free life. You'll always be victorious, you're always going forward, you're always blessed, you're always prospered, you're always protected, and you're always healed. Now, there are promises in Scripture for each of these things. But what we find is that the Bible and our experience today is that they are often battles to be won. And at times we don't know why circumstances don't change. And Paul's actually doing it tough in prison. He's there because of a demonically inspired plot that is a consequence of his preaching to the Gentiles. But, you know, if people get into this unhelpful pattern of thinking, they can think, well, everyone else's life is better than mine because my life's less than that. I'm not seeing this victorious life all the time. Others, other people obviously have better lives and their lives are perfect and their lives are always blessed. But they know that their, life, their own life is not like that. You know, the church sometimes portrays leaders as being always blessed and always joyful and never having problems. And if I've given that impression, then please forgive me because it's certainly not the truth. But you want, I want to say, if you're sick, if you're in trouble, if your finances are never enough, 
don't feel less than because it's so easy to fall into pretending where we say how are you getting on and you reply back oh great I'm really having a great life when in actual fact it's anything but that so knowing that even Paul faced serious afflictions can be life-giving and life-changing especially if you are afflicted right at this time it happens I mean, Paul was whipped, he was stoned, he was imprisoned, he got bitten by a snake, he was shipwrecked, and he had sickness in, uh, in his eyes at some stages. And I've really wanted to uh, preach this message because it's a balance. It needs to, this, this fact needs to be understood. We can be real at church and, and own when we're in trouble um, as Christians. You know, Scripture teaches actually that we will all face suffering and affliction in our lives. We may know what should happen, but there are times when it just doesn't happen. And Paul was in one of these times. If you search suffering in a Bible program, you'll find that the Bible has a lot to say about suffering. I'll just say a few thoughts without developing them, but the Bible says very clearly that it, suffering is a key developer of our character within our lives. And we live in a world under the influence of Satan. So why should we be surprised if we are attacked from time to time? And we're following a leader who, was, who suffered massively for us. So again, why should it surprise us that we experience some afflictions in this life? But then think of this, everybody in the world suffers. I mean, it's a fallen world and there's no manual given when we get born, when children are born. So, so often, as, as uh, the book of Proverbs says, often our suffering is just an outcome of our own poor choices. You know, when I was researching this, I found that there are at least 14 different types of suffering that it's possible for someone to be um, afflicted by. So how do you keep a healthy perspective when we are actually suffering? What can Paul teach us from this passage? Well, I think this passage um, tells us that we should think deeply when we're suffering because what we see here in Paul is not typical. Paul obviously had learned and knew some stuff that it would be great if we could learn. As I said, this went on for two years in Rome, and uh, he'd already had those two years in Caesarea, yet he's not cynical. He's not discouraged. He's not full of bitterness and anger and rebellion. Have a think for a moment about what Paul didn't say. He didn't say, oh, I'm in prison, but I'm a tough guy. I can beat this. I, I'll just power up and do it. He didn't go down that route. He didn't take the hyper-spiritual route and say, I'm just quoting every positive verse that I can find in the Bible, in the Old Testament, um, and, and I know that that's gonna, uh, going to get me through. He didn't do the smi ever-smiling optimist uh, routine either and say, well, God's obviously got something better for me than this. If he's allowing me this, he's got something much better for me. The answer to that is no, but yes. Because Paul never got out of this. Paul went on to be executed. So no, he didn't get something better in this life. But yes, he did go on to heaven. 
And he didn't go down the route of saying, oh, I must have sinned. I've got to search my inner life to find if there's something under a rock in there. Because obviously if I'm in trouble and persecuted and suffering, it must be because of sin. He didn't do any of those things. This passage encourages us to think more deeply. And suffering costs us so much, doesn't it? It's too precious to waste. We should learn some things out of any time of suffering. And verse 1 tells us his key understanding, his key secret, if you like, is that he kept his eyes on Jesus. He said, I'm in prison, but I'm a prisoner for Christ. He was keeping his eyes on Jesus. He'd lost his freedom, but that didn't destroy him because he hadn't lost the most precious thing, his friendship and his intimacy with Jesus. And I want to say to you, as you come out of this COVID time, in whatever way you've grown in your relationship and your own intimacy with Jesus, don't lose that. If you've been developing times of sitting and playing uh, worship music and just meditating and, and connecting with God in that way, keep doing it. Don't lose it. If you've been developing your Bible study and, and, uh, and you're going deeper in the Word and God's speaking to you and you're journaling and writing things, don't stop. Don't lose that. If you're praying deeper, don't lose that. Whatever way that you've grown in intimacy, then learn from this time of COVID. But you know, when we hurt and it won't go away, focus on Christ. And when we do that, one of the most profound realizations as we focus on Jesus and his ministry that can completely change us is to realize how humble and how gracious God is to us. That he came as a suffering servant is astonishing. It should really change our perspectives on so much. God came as a suffering servant for us. You know, he says in verse 1 too that I'm in prison for you. Prison for you. You know, Paul had people helping him. They were coming regularly. He, he mentions them at the, at the end of different books of the Bible. And they were meeting his needs as he was in prison, in his suffering. And you know, when you're there and someone's being kind and nice and to you, the penny can drop how, about how wonderful it is when we do that for other people. It's one of the fruits that builds humility into our life when we're suffering. If you've been served at a time when you've been in need, you really appreciate the time or the food or the talks or the friendship of other people. It's quite humbling when other people are doing things for you and you go, ah, oh, thank you. But it softens us. You know, last year when Sandra had bowel surgery, I so appreciated and we so appreciated the special people bringing food and conversations and love to us at that time. And I personally have so appreciated it when people occasionally tell me, hey, I'm still praying for you with, that you'll be healed of cancer. You know, I'm genuinely touched that you would do that and people would do that for me. And what we find is that affliction opens our eyes and our hearts and even our wallets to the needs of other people. And then in verse 2, Paul shifts his focus off himself and he starts talking about his ministry, that he's been chosen in Christ to fulfill this, this wonderful thing. And you see, God had plans and dreams specially, specifically for Paul. 
In other words, he knew his identity, and out of that identity came ministry. You know, Paul had desired to go to Rome. He had written to the uh, Roman church in a number of places and said, I'm looking forward to coming to you. He wanted to go over there, preach, and win Gentiles to Jesus. He just never intended to go the way he went. That wasn't his plan, but it was God's plan. So Paul actually chose to look at the positive. Do you know what he had? He had room and board and all his meals prepared with no housekeeping indefinitely. And not more than that, he had free travel with escorts and a guaranteed audience with the top brass of Rome, including Caesar himself. I mean, instead of having to go there and think, how do I get to be able to talk to Caesar? It was worked out for him by God. And he daily gets quality meditative time as well as time to discuss with his friends. And he has an opportunity to witness at any point in the day that he wishes to the guards. And especially to the one who's chained to his own wrist, who's also chained and can't get away. You can imagine the talks that Paul was able to have. And Acts tells us that these guards were of the Praetorian guards, the top troops. And Paul had, it says Paul had significant influence into their ranks. And there weren't just tens of them or hundreds of them. There were 10,000 men in this, in this group. And they would have been rostered through to some degree with being chained to Paul. You see, Paul's influence and, and life-changing power of speaking the gospel was happening daily. You know, imagine what you would learn if you could sit down every day with someone like Ravi, Ravi, um, Ravi Zacharias. <laughs> Excuse me. It'd be like going to university. I don't. Ravi has um, passed away in the last couple of weeks, and there's been a lot online. But he's one of the, my favourite people to go onto YouTube and to listen to. His his scholarly wisdom and ability and apologetics is incredible. Well, Paul had that plus. Now imagine the talks that he was having with the guards. It would have been amazing. And that's why in verse 13, he's saying to them, don't worry about my troubles. It's all working out for, for your glory. In other words, the gospel's not hindered. The Gentiles are hearing more and more and more than I could imagine. You know, I've got a good friend, Craig, who lived for a number of years in Turkey. And while he was over there, he met uh, an evangelist over there who was bold and fearless and constantly sharing about Jesus with um, Turkish people over there. And at times, who of course are Muslim, um, and at times he was, this man was put in jail. And he, he wasn't put off. He, that fearless nature that he had just meant that he had more people to preach to. He preached to the inmates preached to the guards. He was unstoppable. And they genuinely didn't know what to do with him. They tried um, holding him in prison for longer, but he just got to talk to more people. Eventually, he would be released each time. He's unstoppable. In verse 3, Paul talks about revelation. That's where we get knowledge that comes downloaded from God to us. And Paul knew that his, he had this ministry because of revelation. The Holy Spirit had spoken to him. He'd heard from God. You know, just as a side note here, I think it's absolutely awesome and amazing that there are things within Scripture 
that were hidden for periods of time and then would be released. And that means that there's probably still things hidden within Scripture that would be released at the right time. Paul describes it as being like a mystery. It was there, but we didn't know it. Uh, and it caught, when God releases something new like this, it causes massive shifts. The cross was revelatory. Jesus had been speaking about it. It was clearly in Scripture, but the disciples were left stunned and amazed when it happened. Yet it was all there. Pentecost, which is actually today, today's Pentecost Sunday, when the power of God can come upon you, was, was something that was there in Scripture, but it came as, as revelation. Justification by faith, which Martin Luther discovered in the 1500s, was there in Scripture, but it took revelation for him to be able to see it and then to share it. And people have been getting saved by believing in Christ in faith um, ever since. Uh, the, the Pentecostal outpouring that happened in 1904 in Azusa Street is another example of where tongues and the power of the Holy Spirit suddenly came. It had been there in Scripture, but, but uh, people hadn't experienced, and suddenly revelation comes and it's, it, it happens. What else could be hidden in Scripture? But there's also personal revelation, and Paul's talking about this in his case. You have a ministry. There's a ministry for you. In the last week, I, I finished with that passage where it talks about um, God having plans and purposes for every single one of us. There's a ministry for you, but we're only going to know it as God speaks that, speaks to us about that. We need revelation about it. You know, friends, can I say to you, you are not saved to fill a seat on Sundays, or you are not saved to sit on the couch, listen to me, and think that, well, that's it. That's what God has for me. You're saved to do ministry. And if you don't know yet can, what it is, can I suggest you seek him about it? Listen to his voice. To Peter, he said, feed my lambs. To Paul, he said in verse 7, in verse seven you are to minister to the Gentiles. And if you accept your assignment, this message will self-destruct. And No, no, that's not true. But if you accept your assignment, I can guarantee you, you're going to do it as part of a team. You know, the, today isn't the day for Lone Rangers. God is putting teams of people to support and encourage and enable his work to be able to be done. And Paul shows the greatest quality of what's needed in a team member, particularly from the leader. In verse 8, he shows humility. And it's the humility that suffering has built into Paul and developed in his life. And I want to say to you, don't overlook this aspect of humility. It's said of Moses, a man who was greatly used in the Old Testament, that he was the most humble man of the planet, on the planet. And now Paul says, I'm the, I'm the least of all the saints that God could have chosen. You know, one of the qualities I most ad admired about Ravi was his humility. I'd listen to him talk and he just loved people, even though he would say things that could be controversial to someone else's faith. He, he had such humility in the way that he spoke. And people won't listen to you, work with you or follow you unless you possess this quality. And you can get it. And often the way is through doing well and suffering. Learn the lessons that God puts you through. 
You know, I fear that many Christians will get to heaven and God's going to say, you missed 80% or 70% of what I had for you to do. I encourage you to speak out those dreams to that you carry within your life of what you think God is speaking to you or planted a desire within you to be able to do. Speak it out to some close, trusted friends. Share them with the people who are mentors in your, in your spiritual walk. And seek God for how and who he wants you to work with. Because your life has no limiters to doing what Jesus has planned for you other than you or me ourselves. Verse 8 says he's got unsearchable riches. And I would say of dreams and plans. But the limiter is whether we will listen and then whether we will obey. And in verse 9, Paul shares this amazing truth that I think... God is in heaven laughing. He says the church will display God's plans and wisdom to the angels. And I think he's clearly meaning there to the fallen angels. See, the enemy had no idea what Jesus was capable of. He thought he had won when he took him to the cross. He gets him skewered like a pig. And I think the enemy would have been laughing at that early part of the cross and then God used that very thing to justly forgive all who repent. Justice in what Jesus did and, and the mercy of God came together in Jesus. And suddenly the enemy would have been going, no. And now Paul's in prison and he's supposed to be stopped. He's supposed to be shut down. And the gospel is reverberating around Rome. It's in the barracks. It's in the halls of power. House churches and groups are springing up everywhere. And I think this indicates that in heaven, God is laughing at the principalities. Psalm 2 says that. He says, why do the kings rage and organize all this stuff? He said, and the king and the God in heaven just laughs at their plans. You know, God says, you do your worst and I'll use it for my best. And, you know, sometimes I look around churches and oftentimes I'm stunned at the ministries that have grown within them. And here's how it happened. Humble people heard God and they obeyed what God said to them. And the enemy's going, oh no, who showed them how to do that? Where did they get that idea? And in verse 13, it talks about the fact that the people will get glory and obviously God will get glory and it will go, and I want to add to that, that it will go on and on and on and on. I mean, how do you slow down one of the most activist people on the planet called Paul? And get him to write something that will be included in, in the New Testament scripture. Because Paul wrote almost half of it. And how do you get him to slow down and write something that will be speaking not just to his generation then, but to thousands of generations? Well, I guess you'd have to admit that prison is a pretty good option. The devil had no idea when he hatched the plot to get Paul imprisoned in Caesarea and then on into, into Rome that God would double trump him and have Paul write half the New Testament in that very spot. And I think the devil looked on again as it was unfolding, going, I don't believe it. How can we shut that down? No! Whose idea was it to imprison him? 
And the fallen angels were probably going like this. It was you. You know, knowing who you are in Christ completely changes the ball game when we face affliction. Paul's showing us that there's another way of responding. By focusing on Jesus, we get time for intimacy, we get listening, we get time for research, we get friendship building with people who come around us, we get to dream and we get to plan of what's coming next in our lives. And learning humility by allowing people to serve us and then being determined to carry that on and pay that forward and serve others is one of the fruits that comes out of this. You see, these are game-changing attitudes and preparation for your ministry of where God's taking you in the next months and years ahead. No one likes suffering, but let's not waste a moment when it occasionally comes. So I've got three questions for you to think about, or oh, actually four today. I want to ask you, you this, and, and these questions would be great if you get on the phone or you talk to someone next to you or you make, get in a group and just follow these thoughts through. First one is this, what aspects of identity do you feel you walk in and understand currently? And the second question is, what new thoughts have you heard today about handling suffering and adversity? And thirdly, do you have a clear picture of the ministry that Jesus has for you to achieve in this next one, two, and three years? And the fourth thing follows on from that, and it would be, what's the next step you need to take? Well, friends, following Jesus starts with coming to know him. And we've been enjoying hearing the stories of how differently Jesus has revealed himself to people and we've asked for forgiveness of sin and we've come to become Christians. So I've asked one of our younger generation guys to share his story of how he came to Christ. I know you're going to enjoy what's coming next in Mitch's story. God bless you, church.